Good afternoon, and welcome to the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy's live weekly broadcast. I'm Roberta Oscar, the Communications Director. Our program brings you news and analysis about economic, racial, social, and environmental justice issues here in Virginia. We bring the expertise and perspective of legislators, community members, policy experts, and faith leaders. We keep you informed and we keep our elected officials accountable. In keeping with the mission of the Virginia Interfaith Center, we will share resources and offer opportunities to, for you to get involved in our work, advancing social justice and helping our neighbors. And this broadcast is interactive, so please engage and ask questions live on the show on our Facebook feed. We care what you think. We would love to hear from you. And now to today's broadcast. Our focus is the priorities of Virginia's Legislative Black Caucus. And I am thrilled to introduce three special guests who are all caucus members. Delegate Lamont Bagby. He's the chairman of the caucus, a Democrat representing the 74th district. Welcome Delegate Bagby. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having us. And our second guest is Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy, a Democrat who represents the second district. Welcome Delegate Carol Foy. Thank you, it's an honor to be here. And Senator Jennifer McClellan, a Democrat representing the ninth district. And before we get started, I wanna let you know, Delegate Bagby has a meeting at 11.30, so he will be leaving the broadcast early, but we're hoping our other guests can stay on for a few more minutes. Our moderator is my colleague and friend, Benjamin Hoyne, the Policy and Campaigns Director for the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. I'll turn it over now to Ben. Thank you, Roberta. And once again, thank you to all of our guests for joining us today. Um, and we're gonna talk about the, the priorities for the Virginia's uh, Legislative Black Caucus. So I wanna start with the chairman of the caucus, Delegate Bagby. Uh, you often state that the Legislative Black Caucus has no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only permanent issues. Uh, what are some of your hopes for the upcoming session in regards to, to those longstanding issues of the Legislative Black Caucus? Delegate Bagby? Delegate Bagby, are you able to hear us? Sounds like we're having some technical difficulties. Uh, maybe I'll turn that over to uh, Senator McClellan as the vice chair of the caucus. Um, if you wanna take that question, what are, what are some of the hopes of the, the Legislative Black Caucus for the upcoming special session? No. Well, thank you for that. We uh, announced our agenda, um, I guess it was about a month ago, where we want to uh, address some long, long-standing issues we've been addressing, dealing with uh, racial inequity, uh, everything from declaring racism a public health crisis to uh, dealing with criminal justice reform and police reform. Uh, we are also dealing with uh, some of the COVID-related issues around uh, the evictions moratorium that's going to lift soon and the 
um, utility disconnect moratorium for non-payment, uh, how we make sure that when those um, moratoriums end, that the customers who couldn't pay their bills and probably are still uh, facing financial struggles uh, now that the unemployment has run out from the federal government, uh, making sure that they don't get put out or disconnected in the middle of a pandemic, so creating a, a glad path uh, to make them whole. Um, those would be the, the big issues that we face. And obviously the budget, we, we will uh, deal with the governor's budget uh, amendments that he will present uh, the morning of the 18th, but we've made clear our priorities are uh, our K-12 uh, education system, our HBCUs, um, and, and making sure that we are providing PE, overtime pay, hazard pay to some of our essential workers, if whom are people of color. Uh, so those are the, the broad issues that we will focus on this session. Great, thanks. And to, to follow up on, on one of those, I know housing and, and tenants' rights is a, an issue that you focus on this, this past General Assembly and, and certainly is a, a critical issue facing folks uh, during this pandemic. How do you expect uh, the Senate or the Legislative Black Caucus to, to kind of stop some of these evictions and um, deal with this, uh, this eviction uh, pandemic uh, that we're, we're dealing with today? So the, the first step, several, the first step is making sure that we are providing uh, rent relief uh, using not just CARES Act money, but uh, if we can find additional funding, and again, we'll see the amount that the governor produces when he puts in, but we want to make sure that we are providing, um, I mean, it's just going to be money to help the these individuals pay their rent. Uh, because a lot of the landlords, they also have uh, expenses. And so we want to make sure that you're not just kicking the can down the road and having a big bill due. Uh, we're looking at a couple of other issues, like perhaps um, extending the, the, the lease payments, um, putting the, the money that hasn't been paid so much at the end of the lease term so you can stretch out when you pay it. Um, but what we've also seen is a lot of renters who are now living in hotels but don't have the same protections that they would if they were living in an apartment so we will have a bill to extend renter protections uh to individuals living in hotels long term uh because they they deserve those same protections so a couple of couple of ways that we're going to deal with that and then tying an evictions moratorium uh to to landlords providing some relief uh, so that if, if uh, you know, maybe waiving a month of, of the rent, but making sure we're, we're stretching out when payments would have to be paid because a balloon payment of four or five months up front is just not possible for, for anybody. And so stretching that out, having payment plans in place so that uh, we, can, we can stretch out that money. Great, thanks. Um, sticking with with kind of COVID relief and immediate relief, uh, Delegate Carol Foy wanted to, to ask you, you've long been a proponent of, of paid family and, and medical leave. I know paid sick leave has, has also been on the priority for the Legislative Black Caucus. I, I just saw it come out on the, the House Democratic priority list as well. How do you how do you propose going forward on, on providing paid sick leave so that at a minimum people in this uh, pandemic can, can quarantine safely, whether from their family, 
from work, from their coworkers? How can we solve some of this, this paid sick leave uh, conundrum we're in? Yeah, so thank you for that question. Um, I have been championing paid family medical leave for a very long time. Um, as you know, a new mom, um, I gave birth to my premature twins months early and had to be hauled back to work um, right after giving birth because we don't have paid family medical leave here in Virginia. So it's a serious issue. And now it's been exacerbated by the fact we have this uh, pandemic that we're dealing with. So if we're saying that essential workers are that, if we're saying that they are heroes and they need to have the pay and the job protections to, in order to reflect it. Um, and so part of that is paid family medical leave and paid sick days. Now paid family medical leave, leave um, we would have to make upfront investments um, in order to jumpstart that program. Um, it would allow for people to get to up to 80% of their pay um, for several weeks. And um, it's something that, uh, isn't afforded to everyone and it should be so people could take the time out to care for themselves or loved ones if they're sick they can contract COVID-19 etc um, something that is more likely to pass during a special session is paid sick days and I believe that's being carried by Senator Favola and um, Delegate Guzman and so paid sick days is an important element to this in order to help prop up the most vulnerable Virginians um, and give some of our most marginalized communities the assistance and help that they need in order to um, receive pay while they're sick, especially if they've contracted a COVID-19. Um, many times they have to leave work for up to 14 days. They have to be tested multiple times negative before they can return. And I don't know how many of us uh, can go weeks at a time with no paycheck. Um, and so that, that's something that we can implement. I think it has a really good chance of passing this special session. Um, one of the things that Chairman Torrey said that we can allot new and discretionary funding for is COVID-related um, issues. And I think that's something that will help many Virginians. That's something that's very practical and pragmatic that we can get done, and it's long overdue. Great, thank you. A final question that I was hoping to ask uh, Delegate Bagby is, as he carried the uh, percentage income payment program for related to utility bills this past legislative session, although uh, Senator McClellan, that got rolled into your uh, broad Virginia Clean Economy Act bill uh, that was really more of an environmental bill. But um, for us at the Interface Center and others focused on low-income Virginians, the, the energy burden uh, is, is really an important piece. So I know we actually had Delegate uh, LaCherise aired on our, our show last week um, as she was discussing the, the um, water uh, cutoffs uh, that are situation in Petersburg. Uh, and she mentioned she'll be introducing a bill on a, on a moratorium for water cutoffs. I know the, the Fair Energy Bills Act that, that passed 77 to 23 uh, in, the, in the House this past session, but didn't get a floor vote would attempt to claw back some of that $2 billion in, in over earnings from, from Dominion uh, that would go a long way to, to paying down all of the debt, frankly, uh, for residential customers and, and Dominion's uh, territory on electricity bills. Um, how, do you, how do you envision the, the Legislative Black Caucus uh, prioritizing stopping these the evictions, or sorry, the, the water cutoffs and the, the electricity cutoffs for folks that are in the midst of this pandemic? The delegate Aird and I are actually working with the Poverty Law Center uh, on, a, on a bill just on that very point to deal with um, the State Corporation Commission has extended the moratorium on disconnections for water, electricity, 
and gas uh, through August 31st to give us time uh, at the General Assembly to, to craft um, a, a longer term solution. Short term, uh, we are looking at a bill that would, would require um, our payment plans uh, that, because again, once that moratorium lifts, you're going to have about five months worth of bills due at once and you're not, and no one, very few people are going to be able to pay that if, if anybody. Um, so we would provide a, a payment plan that could be up to 24 months uh, that would have the monthly payments be tied to a certain percentage of income so that you wouldn't have anyone paying um, and the bill's not completely drafted. So I, I'm going completely on memory. I think it's about four or 5% uh, of a monthly income, a bill, a monthly payment under that payment plan wouldn't be more than four or five percent of of the individual's monthly income, um, and there are a couple of other parameters that would be around that payment plan, uh, really to make sure. Once again, you're spreading those payments out rather than having this gigantic balloon payment that can't be made uh, paid up front. And then we'll look for some more long-term. Uh, solutions uh, going forward through session on how to prevent something similar from happening in the future. Great. Wanted to turn to criminal justice reform. Uh, Delegate Carol Foy, this past session, you actually, along with Senator McClellan, had a bill uh, for cash bail data collection that, that unfortunately did not uh, have the, the monetary wherewithal to, to, to get passed. Um, as we attempt to reform the criminal justice system, including the cash bail system, what are some ways, uh, Delegate Carol Foy, that, that you see as, as uh, that Virginia can reform its, its justice system? Yes, so thank you for that. As the first public defender ever elected to the General Assembly, um, I deal with this issue on a daily basis. My clients are the poor, people who are over 100% below the poverty line. My clients are people who suffer from mental illness, substance abuse, and children who have been neglected abuse. And oftentimes everything has failed them. Their families have failed them, the systems have failed them, the schools have failed them. And then that's where I step in. As sometimes they are only champion and that brick wall there to protect them um, from everything else. And so I have an intimate perspective about what we need to reform our criminal justice system. Because let's be clear, we have a two-tier criminal justice system here in Virginia, one for the haves and one for the have-nots, one that works one way for black, brown, and other marginalized communities, and one that works well for everyone else. And so one of the biggest ways that we can end mass incarceration here in Virginia, where black people are 19% of the population, but over 51% of the prison population, is by reforming our cash bill system, where that has significantly increased the amount of people being detained pre-trial, meaning they have not been found guilty of a crime, but because they are too poor to pay for their freedom, they sit in jail for weeks and months at a time. And those are my clients. And so fighting for this cash bail bill for the last several years, I helped draft with ACLU Legal Aid, Justice Ford, and a lot of other uh, justice groups. It's really twofold. That bill is not only a data collection bill, but it's also a bill to make the presumption of release uh, and put that to the forefront. 
because it should be, the burden should be on the Commonwealth to prove that a person is a danger to themselves, the community or a flight risk. And until and unless that's proven, people should be able to be released. And so that's one of the most profound things that we can do. Um, and then once we have the information from the cash bail um, data collection, we can make evidence-based decisions about what needs to happen next in order to have true reform. Um, other things that you know we can do, this what we recently done here in Prince William County, I put in a bill along with State Senator Scott Serval to have a public defender's office in Prince William County. Um, so people can get um, competent and uh, complete uh, representation because you have sentencing advocates and you have all of these people who will work to get pe veterans connected with services and people who uh, receive SSI to get that reinstated once they're released so they can actually pay their court fines and fees. So those are the things that um, I think will really help. Also um, having bills such as, uh, or initiatives such as the one that we have now, which is representation. Um, I'm excited to have champion an, uh, an effort to diversify the bench, um, mainly here in Northern Virginia, but that needs to be exercised throughout the Commonwealth uh, period because we need people to have cultural competence. We need representation on the bench for people who are making life and death decisions about people's future. And it was in 2016, I believe, a study was done and there were only five minorities in all of Northern Virginia sitting on the bench. And last year alone, I helped appoint five in one session, helped put the first Latino on the bench in Prince William County, the first African-American ever on the bench in Loughton. And that's what it means to really do the work because that's what reform means. It means um, reforming the system from the inside out. And so once you have people who execute the laws, interpret the laws, who understand people everyday struggle, well, that means something. Um, because I'm tired of trying to convince judges that my client is too poor to pay $50. If you don't have the life experiences to understand that, um, that my client just ate out the trash on his way to court today, then you can understand why he can't pay and then maybe he should just be released and be forced to come back on his court date. So those are the type of practical things that's done. Um, I'm also champion um, and black is a black caucus agenda to uh, legalize marijuana because according to the 2017 Virginia Crime Commission study, uh, African-Americans are three times more likely to be stopped, charged and convicted for simple possession of marijuana for personal use, even though we have almost the exact same usage rates and possession rates as our white counterparts. So that's what fairness, equality and justice really means. And that's those are just some of the ways that we reform our criminal justice system. Great, thank you. Uh, Senator McClellan, I know you've long worked on criminal justice reform as well. This past General Assembly, uh, you were able to eliminate, eliminate mandatory minimums for driving with a suspended license. Uh, finally, after years of struggle, getting the, the Fishback Bill passed, and we're huge fans of Lily Branch Kennedy uh, at the Interface Center. So uh, from the Senate side, what are, what are some ways that you view uh, that, that Virginia can uh, reform its, its criminal justice system? So a lot of the, I'll echo a lot of what uh, Delegate Carol Foy mentioned, but there, there are about four or five other areas that we've announced uh, our packages on. Uh, again, the bills hopefully will be dropped, uh, if not today or tomorrow, early Monday. Um, first, we need to provide um, accountability, transparency for police misconduct. So we will have uh, a civilian review board bill uh, that will authorize localities to have civilian review boards that have teeth, that have investigatory power, subpoena power, uh, can make binding recommendations with an appeals process, uh, but that everything they do is, is independent and transparent. 
we will have legislation creating a Marcus Alert um, named after uh, Marcus David Peters, who was killed here uh, in Richmond by a police officer when he was in uh, the middle of a middle of a mental health crisis. Because too often law enforcement is the first responder when a mental health professional should be the first responder. So the idea behind the Marcus Alert is to create a, a mobile crisis unit where you would have uh, a, a mental health professional arriving on the scene with police securing the scene, but the mental health professional securing and, and, and helping the individual come out of crisis. Um, Police reform, Senator Mamie Locke unveiled last week a, a comprehensive police reform bill that includes uh, banning no-knock warrants, uh, uh, chokeholds, et cetera, um, and prohibiting uh, use of force uh, and, and, and sort of lethal force as the first resort. Uh, pretty broad bill. Um, we also are focusing on giving prosecutors back the ability to be merciful. So uh, reducing some of the mandatory minimum sentences that we have, uh, giving prosecutors more authority to do uh, deferred disposition. Um, those are just a few things, you know, providing more ability to do compassionate release. Uh, the, the, um, I know Don Scott has a, a bill dealing, making it easier to get good time credit. Uh, we probably will have a version of that on the Senate side that we're trying to finalize as well. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something because we, we rolled about a five or six point uh, package. We actually have a press conference tomorrow where we will provide more detail on those as the bill drafts come back. Uh, so stay tuned there. And then finally, we, we have made progress, um, some progress dealing with the school to prison pipeline, uh, but not enough. And, and this year we were able to pass two bills that I actually introduced in 2012, along with a third that in 2012 passed that required schools to report discipline data by race, ethnicity, um, and other demographic uh, measures that proved what we knew then, but now we have the data to back up that it is students of color students with disabilities, and especially the intersection of the two who are disproportionately suspended, expelled, and also referred to law enforcement. Um, what didn't pass then, but did pass this year was getting rid of um, disorderly conduct charges for students, which was literally used to charge kids with misdemeanors for things like singing a rap song on a bus or kicking a trash can. We got rid of that this year. We also restored um, discretion to principals to decide if there's if there are incidents or behaviors that technically constitute a crime, but should really be handled through the discipline process. It could be as simple as you know you bring a butter knife to school, or you pat somebody on the back, or or even if there's a fight but there's no injury. Um, give the principal the ability to decide, is that something I can handle through the discipline process, but reporting to the parents what happened and they can decide what to do? Under the law, they had to report it, no matter the circumstances. Um, so we made some progress there, but we still haven't restored mental health professionals in the school building who can deal with behaviors that more often than not are the manifestation of either an intellectual or, or, or developmental disability 
or a mental health issue, one in five kids has either ADHD, autism, anxiety, trauma that begins to manifest as early as three through behavior. And rather than looking at what caused this kid to act out, maybe it's an underlying issue that a counselor or a psychologist or a social worker could deal with. Um, more often than not, they're referred to SROs or law enforcement. And so um, I think there's going to be some efforts dealing with the state SRO grant program to shift those resources back to counselors uh, because they really should be doing those jobs and not SROs. And I appreciate you bringing up the, the school to prison pipeline, certainly a, a critical issue and, and congratulate you on, on working on it all these years. And I think you and, and Delegate Bourne uh, were successful in getting some of the bills passed this year, which was wonderful. Yeah. I want to welcome uh, Delegate Bagby back. Um, hope you can hear us. Um, <laughs> wonderful. I can. I can. Uh, the, one of the, the top line priority uh, on the Legislative Black Caucus press release from a month or so ago was to address and, and combat racism. I know you oversaw a process to um, to repeal inequities in Virginia's code. So um, seems like you would have some expertise in this area. What are some ways that that the Commonwealth can continue to address and combat racism, whether it's through the code, through through schools, um, you know, through pol police reform, all the above? Well, you you give me a golden opportunity to talk about a lot of things. But first, I want to just say how awesome it is on a day such as this to be uh, sharing the stage with two black women, two black women lawyers. Uh, this is a time that we celebrate them. Uh, uh, and, and so it, it is awesome to share the stage with them uh, this morning. Uh, but there's a lot of opportunities, as we talked about in in uh, in our press release, and, and we, we, we talk about quite frequently, in every corner of the Commonwealth and in every segment of our society, uh, we have to address the challenges associated with systematic racism and how that infiltrates into our school system, how that infiltrates into our healthcare, how that infiltrates into uh, our judicial system. Uh, and so we have been charged with a number of, 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 of I believe obligations uh, as it relates to the Black Caucus to be the voice of those individuals, black and white, and and, and any individual uh, that is uh, that that has been uh, has experienced challenges because of uh, who they are. And so I am so pleased that we were able to accomplish so much. Uh, and and I often talk about this because I think about those individuals that came before us. Uh, the Bobby Scotts, the Doug Wilders, the Gerald Jones, uh, the Louise Lucas, who, who's still here, here, here doing the work with us. Uh, the list goes on of those individuals that have really, really, really laid the laid the groundwork for us. I, 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 I don't want to talk too long, but I do want to. Gerald Jones, uh, Big Gerald Jones, not Baby Gerald Jones, uh, but Big Gerald Jones sent me a text the other day, just showing me. Uh, how the Black Caucus stuck together in the 90s to fight against par abolishing parole. And so they are looking, uh, those that are here still with us, and I believe those that are up in heaven are still looking at us uh, with, with a great sense of pride. And, and so 
it is it, very refreshing that we had an opportunity this past session to deliver on so many goals and objectives that uh, the, the, the VLBC has been promising to stay, uh, stay focused on. Uh, we delivered on those promises this past session. But as we walked out of the chamber in March, um, we all agreed that it was one space that we did not make nearly as much progress as we wish we would have. And that was in the area of justice. And so we were fully committed even before um, the challenges associated with COVID and uh, Mr. Floyd, uh, that we were gonna make, make sure that we were able to get some of this, uh, these uh, justice reform. Often try, often try to not say criminal justice reform because a lot of it is not dealing with criminals. Um, uh, is it dealing with individuals that are disenfranchised and, and run through the criminal justice system. Uh, but we, we, were, we were focused on dealing with uh, justice reform. And, you know, that's why I'm proud to share the stage with these two uh, uh, leaders because they've been, they've been focused on it. Uh, and, and I know that if we continue to work on these uh, agenda items, we will get all that we uh, have on our agenda accomplished either in the special session or uh, in the 2021 session. And it all, it all comes down to educating individuals of the impact of the decisions that we make in the General Assembly. Um, and I think when we do that uh, and we have the people uh, pushing us and at, at, at our backs, uh, supporting us, uh, we will accomplish those goals that are laid out in our legislative agenda and we will build upon that because one of the things that we, we, we also realize is we don't have all the answers. And so we've been making sure that we make time to talk, but we also take time to listen. Uh, and so we have had a number of town halls as, the, as a caucus, uh, as a house caucus, as a Senate caucus, and as the black caucus, and as individual caucuses. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm so proud of, of where we are, um, but we really have an opportunity to address a number of issues and we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, and I won't be doing it in heels, but these ladies will. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm excited about where we are. Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you so much. I know that uh, that you all are busy and, and, and likely out of time. So, um, well, well, I had really some technical difficulties, so I want to stay on a little bit longer. You want to say, oh, all right. Can't turn down the chairman. Um, well, then let me turn it over to Delegate Carol Foy to, to kind of uh, address the same question. What are some ways that you see uh, from your perch that, that Virginia can address and, and combat racism? So um, that is an all encompassing question. And so there's different ways to combat racism. Um, but one of the things that I wanna be very clear about is that if we're going to do it, then we have to do it. So while I understand there's a huge focus on statues and monuments and uh, while symbolism is important, right? Like our constitution and our flag and the Statue of Liberty, these things are important. Um, so is passing substantive legislation. And so if we're really going to combat racism, what that looks like is addressing the historical and systemic inequities in our healthcare, education, in our economy. Um, and that in our environment and those are the things that really matter and so while i always support peacefully protesting with a purpose um 
there has to be something that comes out of that or or it's a moment lost. And so I always like to say that I my protest is through passing policies. And so I'm gonna continue to work diligently with uh, my brothers and sisters in the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus and the Democratic Caucus. And even on the other side of the aisle where we can in order to make inroads to address these issues. And so some of the most poignant things we can do um, immediately is for example, we can end qualified immunity for uh, the bad actors of police officers who are violating people's constitutional rights with impunity. Um, we can expand police decertification criteria by ensuring that officers who do violate the law or do violate people's constitutional rights, they can not then go to another jurisdiction and then work there. So that's one of the problems that we have here in the Commonwealth. After speaking with um, police chiefs, they've communicated that that's a situation. They can name names of officers who should not be working. However, because of um, the inefficiency of our decertification process, uh, these officers were able to just move over to another jurisdiction and continue the same type of behavior, and that's unacceptable. Um, expanding the use of body cams. Um, I was excited that Chairman Torian um, from the Legislative Black Caucus, we passed one of his initiatives to collect data whenever an officer pulls people over, they have to now collect demographic data of everyone. So we can see who's being pulled over, why the stop is happening and the results. So though that's important information, again, so we can make evidence-based decisions about how we're gonna move forward. Uh, banning the use of chokeholds and, and excessive force. Uh, so we can prevent uh, the, the, uh, the unlawful death of people due to racial injustice and due to people violating people's constitutional rights. So once we have these things in place, they can act as barriers, but it's not only about accountability, it's also about prevention. And so we can do things such as on the application where officers fill out uh, applications to, to be hired. They don't have to disclose whether or not they're affiliated with any race-based hate group. That might be something we wanna know. Um, and also not just have implicit bias training, but bias training. Um, and so you have to really get to the root cause of stereotypes and the criminalization and demonization of black and brown skin and how people can react um, un in unwarranted ways because of that. And so that has to be directly uh, addressed. And so those are just some of the things that we can do um, along with fully funding our schools, giving teachers the pay increases that they deserve, addressing environmental injustice um, where black and brown communities and black and brown men and women are more likely to live close to landfills and power plants and coal ash ponds that seep lead arsenic and mercury into into our water and how that has unjust results such as black women having um, higher mortality rate given birth where as because of the way i appear in the world that is a risk factor making me three times more likely to die during childbirth um, that is racism at its best and it has to be taken on head first and so supporting bills like the bill that i carried along and delegate air to um address the black mortality rate and to reduce that i mean these are the things that have to be done you have to do the work and doing the work looks like passing solid policies that the virginia legislative black caucus has made its top agenda items along with the democratic caucus on both sides to say this will be handled um, we hear you we see you and we will get something done thanks uh senator mcclellan same question to you So I think 100% agree with everything uh, that's already been said. I think it's important to understand and underscore that 
it's it's systemic racism is systemic and it goes back to how this country and how this commonwealth was first formed and i think part of it because part of your question is not just is globally what can we do we need to have an honest conversation about our history we need to have it taught the complete story in our schools uh, and we need to make sure as public as part of public history we are telling the complete story we have to understand that this country was founded as part of a business venture where the land and natural resources was taken and exploited from indigenous people and then a government was created by those white land-owning men and then the first Africans came and were used to serve those men as labor for free. And then the first women came to serve those men as wives with no rights. That's the first step is let's have an honest conversation about that. Let's include in our school curriculum, the complete story of our history of what happened after the civil war, when there was a rise in economic, social uh, and political power of African-American men and then there was a swift backlash against it that resulted in a constitution that disenfranchised black people that were still trying to eliminate the vestiges of that that led that had racial terror um and the rise of monuments as a backlash to the rise of that power we have to that that's not taught in schools that's not talked about in our communities we have to talk about that we have to make sure our curriculum is accurate we have to make sure that the curriculum in medical school that taught you know, healthcare professionals that blacks had a higher threshold for pain. We got to talk about that um, and make sure that's not still being taught. Um, so it starts with education and their policies that we need to address in housing to deal with with centuries of redlining um, in transportation and land use policy. You name the issue, you name the system. There were policies put in place centuries or decades ago that need to be addressed and unraveled. But part of your question is what can we do? Every single person and organization needs to ask themselves some really hard questions. What am I doing as an individual or as an organization every day to either eradicate systemic racism, maintain the status quo or make it worse? Because for, you know, yes, there are people who intentionally maintain the status quo or make it worse, but there are a lot of people who do it unintentionally because they don't understand how our past still impacts our present. Um, and that's, a, that's not an easy conversation to have for individuals or organizations, but we can't fix this with just policy and legislation. If we could, you know, we'd be in a different place right now. We need to change hearts and minds. And that starts with the individual taking a really hard look at themselves and asking those really tough questions. And it's particularly important for our communities and our organizations, be they nonprofit, the private sector or government to do that same thing, do that very same soul searching uh, and then be honest about what you find and then take steps to correct it. That's, that's, uh, that's so true. Thank you, uh, Senator McClellan. Uh, Delegate Bagby, as, as the chairperson of the caucus, I, I don't envy having to follow these uh, tremendous women, uh, but I, I will uh, leave you with the, the last word and um, what, what can the Interface Center do to, to answer, Senator McC or not answer, but to, to 
piggyback on Senator McClellan's question, uh, what can the folks watching right now do, uh, whether it's next week during the special session in January uh, for the regular session or, or in the streets uh, or, or in, 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 the, in the school or, or anywhere else? Um, I'll leave you with the last word. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I would say that, again, I will go back to our eyes and ears are open. Um, we are here to 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 listen uh, and, and find out what it is that we can do to make sure that the people of the Commonwealth, uh, everybody has an equitable opportunity moving forward. I know that sounds cliche. I know it sounds like something that you hear quite frequently. But as you can see by our actions, uh, particularly in the last uh, few years, uh, when we when given the opportunity, uh, we are going to deliver on our promises. And so um, one of the things that I, I, I think about is, I mean, we talked about generations before us, but what do we lead the next generation? Uh, and that a, a lot of a lot of that comes with generation generational wealth. Um, and as you know, and I appreciate you all working with us this past session and supporting the effort to to uh, uh, get rid of predatory lending in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, but there's more to it than that. Um, when you think about individuals uh, and generations of, 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 of races uh, that has, have, have had to deal with systematic racism, it leads to individuals, some individuals owning houses, some individuals owning business, some, some individuals in, in significant debt, um, in redlining and all that plays a part in it. But one of the things that we are really starting to explore now is uh, taking it a step further from uh, bad debt to actually how do we make sure that individuals of color are receiving an opportunity to receive good debt. And so mortgage uh, uh, is, is, is mortgages are very important in making sure that it's an equal playing field and banks are uh, being good actors as it relates to that. Uh, and so as the senator and, and the delegate mentioned, there are so many, I mean, we could go down a number of roads, um, but that's why, as you just mentioned, it's hard to follow uh, uh, these members, but it's a good thing because we all have our passions, uh, but all of us are, 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 are right there together. Um, you may have Senator McClellan working on uh, 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 prison uh, pre-K to prison pipeline. Uh, you may have Delegate Bourne working on housing, or they may be working on it together. Uh, uh, Senator Mamie Locke and I are working on uh, Juneteenth, and we worked on predatory lending together. Um, uh, uh, Don Scott and, and and Carol Ford are, are working on uh, a criminal justice reform, and and have been really leading the way in the crim sub and in in, in in courts. Um, I'm really proud that we have so many individuals in leadership in the General Assembly in the House and the Senate, from the Senate pro tem to the, the majority leader in the House uh, and chairs uh, of, of, of pretty powerful committees, including Luke Torian, chair of appropriations. And so I, I'm happy to follow uh, our members uh, because I know that at the end of the day, uh, we are gonna have a lot to celebrate collectively. And again, any one of us um, would be more than willing to have conversations, uh, whether that's virtually over the phone 
will continue to join you in Zooms like this, which I think are so meaningful um, uh, to connect with individuals so that they know some of the issues that we're fighting for. A lot of times individuals uh, approach me at the barbershop. I know it doesn't look like I go to the barbershop, uh, but I, uh, you know, they approach me and they, they have good ideas and they have things that I didn't think about um, because it's real life experiences. And I think that's what you heard Senator uh, McClellan and, and Delegate Carol Foy mention is those real life experiences that we show up in Richmond uh, year after year to try to address those. Um, but again, we need to make sure that we're hearing from the people uh, and seeing the people. And you ask me what you can do. Uh, we got to figure out a way. Um, and I, I, I appreciate the, the protests and individuals uh, uh, showing up in the streets across the, the Commonwealth and across this nation and across this world, matter of fact. And I'm not going to even put a butt behind that. And we need them to show up uh, and, and talk to those legislators that aren't supporting these initiatives. Uh, because there's a reason. This is the season to get these things passed, but there's a reason why they didn't get, that, they didn't get passed before. And I, I, I don't want to get political, but just as uh, uh, Senator Harris said yesterday, we don't need to just win. We need a mandate. And it's the same thing here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We need a mandate. We need to show all leaders across the Commonwealth, whether it's a, uh, is a, whether it's a Republican in the Senate or a Democrat in the House, we need to show each and every leader across the Commonwealth that there's a mandate to deliver and finally address these uh, these issues. So that's what, what that's what individuals can do. Uh, we appreciate you taking time to talk and listen to us, but we want you to make sure that you encourage other members uh, of the General Assembly as well. Yeah, and certainly at the Virginia Interface Center, we'll we'll attempt to do our part as, as best as we're able with our, our members from across the Commonwealth. Um, I want to thank you, uh, Chairman Bagby. I want to thank my, the esteemed guests, uh, Delegate Carol Foy and Senator McClellan as well. Uh, we really appreciate you all taking time out of your busy schedules. Uh, I know this this month of this year has been chaotic, um, but we appreciate you you all giving us a little bit of your time. So thank you very much for joining. Thanks to everybody that's out there watching, and, and we look forward to to helping and and, and doing our part uh, next week and in the, the weeks and the months and the years to come. So thanks very much. And as you see, you can go to our website to to hear more ways to engage and, and contact your legislators. So. Thanks everybody, appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thank you and have a great day.